As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Hi, Jake. Hey, Louisa. Long time well, no pod, dude. <laughs> I know. I haven't said, hey, Louisa, in fucking nine months or something almost you know, a year I, I feel like we should be like simpson characters sorry no let's explore that what do you how in which way are we like simpsons characters i don't know i just i'm looking at you in the screen and we have our uh cowabunga dude sort of sayings <laughs> like we could be Simps not necessarily simpsons but people in the simpsons universe Right. How they have catchphrases. Yes, yes, yes. Like Otto. I don't remember Otto's actually, but Snake do. No, I don't remember anybody's, but they all have one. <laughs> um, do they? They tried to make Bart like Cowabunga in the early years, and I feel like he evolved way past that. And then Homer's like Doe, I guess. Yeah, no. And and Bart also has Eat My Shorts. And, I mean, that's all early Bart, I guess. But um, I don't know. Fuck you guys with your new Bart. I don't care about that guy. Marge has that's her catchphrase. And, and homie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I saw this fucking meme the other day. This guy said um he said he's reacting to something and he said, Well dye my hair blue and call me Marge, because I love you, homie. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is really funny. She calls him like homie. That. Yeah, I like that very much. Um so I guess we have not, I don't even remember the last time that we potted or what we talked about, but I feel like, um, yeah, you think I was going to check? I didn't check, but I definitely feel like um, this is probably not going to be like new people listening to it. It's like, welcome back, everybody who chose to come back and see us again, listen to us again. Um, but I guess, dude, I got to tell you, I personally, um, depression, a whole bunch of shit, and then uh, capitalism and war and colonialism, etc. And then you fucking moved to the other side of the country. I mean, you have a whole story. And so, I don't know, I feel like we simultaneously, like, didn't do this podcast, but we're also going through, like, a bunch of shit. So yeah. Like, well, let's... Let's Los Angeles. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> my story a little bit, and then I'll ask you yours, and we'll catch up and figure okay. out how it all ties together because like you know i didn't fucking go back and listen to what the last thing was either because this podcast has always been like for fun and like i kind of think about it the same way i think about stand-up i was thinking today about like just wh where my career is at whether it exists and all this stuff and like one of the reasons that i am not i don't feel that compelled to keep trying to document tons of shit and do like the instagram clips and stuff like that is um this guy, Gianmarco Ceresi, he's really funny. He's yeah. a New York comic. He said something the other day. I think this was him. Hope I'm not quoting the wrong person. But he was talking about, you know what? I might be fucking quoting the wrong person. I might have been this other guy. Uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me, and I'll see if we can help. Um, they were talking about those clips, and they were saying, like, you know, if you watch a bunch of Instagram clips of comedians doing crowd work and it doesn't make you want to go watch a show, what you need to understand is that, uh, clips are of stand-up are like pornography and watching it live is like having sex uh 
and that's why like even the same clip like you might have watched felt different in the room you know and yeah now i think it was somebody else <laughs> okay uh, uh i think it could have been him was it maybe jay jordan fucking maybe i was thinking that might be the other person it was yeah. <laughs> i'm uh, well, one of them. Good job, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Both both there's, a, funny. <laughs> there's a handful of comics on Twitter who I'm always like kind of taking note of these little clever turns of phrase they do. Uh, yeah. And I don't know these people. I just have a handful of them. So congratulations. If you were just named, you're one of them. <laughs> um, but like uh, I was thinking about the end of the movie Blade Runner. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Where Roy, ba- Ray, Roy Batty, is that the name of the cyborg um, replicant? the guy with the white hair that they hunt down, he gives that soliloquy about like everything being lost, like tears in the rain or whatever. And it's like really kind of heavy and makes you think about mortality and stuff. But that tears in the rain thing is like, um, what's the word for when those fucking monks will like make a sand painting and then they fucking blow it over and they're, Oh, it's done. It only existed for a minute or whatever. You know, that's, that's how I treat everything. I do stand up podcasts. I've, I've never numbered podcasts. Cause I think it's like, what are you I remember, doing? I remember when we first started podcasting that you were like, I don't want to number them and I don't want to release it at the same time. And I'm like, what? That is psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to me that you stuck to that uh, because it is an ephemeral art thing to do. That's so I, weird. I don't have the impulse to try to make a statue in the desert and be like, I live forever, you know? Okay. So you decided to make a podcast with like an anthropologist archivist. <laughs> person who's like we need to number them we need to write a catalog (laughs) that's kind of interesting though you know (laughs) very frustrating (laughs) um but like something so i early last year we were still doing this and like i've thought about the last few podcasts we did though and i remembered stuff and i remembered we kind of always had this philosophy like yo if this stops being fun we'll just stop doing it or whatever and like I want to apologize to you because I do remember like kind of getting to this place where my ADD brain was fucking going off too hard. And I would just get stuck on like, you know, no, let me get my point out. Let me get my point out. And we like argue and we get into like arguments about stuff or like, po- like philosophical points that we're trying to make that like, we don't need to be like, you know, that at each other's throats about and stuff like that. And I- I'm in retrospect. So here's what happened to me. Right. In retrospect, I'm realizing that I really was having a bad time living in 538 in the building that I lived in. Thank God you finally realized it, Jake. <laughs> I'm not going to like, I, I told you so. Sorry to interrupt, but I, this is one of the things that I did tell you. Like, you need to get out of this fucking place. And I'm really glad that it's, you look amazing. You look, <laughs> sound good. Murray looks fantastic. <laughs> um, so please continue. So you realized that you needed to get out of there. Well, I mean, the thing is, I knew I needed to get out of there, but I couldn't get out of there. And it, like, you know, what happened is I was living in that place and I had been there the entire time I've been in New York and it was like cheap rent, but you just lived in a little anarcho squat fucking treehouse thing. And I had like people around me, the people that lived there were like true believers and just like fucking wanted to keep going because you can do certain things you can't do when your rent's that cheap and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, there's various points in my life in my life in the last 10 years, like I've wanted to move out of there, thought about it. And then like something happened where I was like, well, it's a little bit, I can't turn down the amount of like money I'm going to save by like staying in this place or whatever. But like, you know, really, 
I don't know, the last era, the last saga of our fucking lives, the post COVID world thing. I've been looking at it and I'm like, all right, I think I got to kind of get out of here. And I got myself into a job that was like not paying enough and taking up too much of my time. And I kind of got stuck in that. And I met someone who lives on the West Coast. And I kind of was thinking like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe when I get out of here, maybe I go, maybe when I'm not stuck in this living situation, I can go anywhere. I'll try the West Coast. And the thing about having really cheap rent in a place like that, and there's only a few warehouses like that that exist in New York, is uh, you just can't leave. Because you if you leave, you can't get back in and you won't forgive yourself for losing all that money, right? So I was like, uh, you know, it was a huge decision to try to leave it. And when we started to get near the end of it, I don't know how public this information is. I talked about it a little bit, but um, like on Twitter and stuff, but I don't know where the fuck people who listen to this come from. So I'll just give you the quick rundown. I got into the end game legally with the landlord of the place. And I was thinking about leaving. And then I went, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I think I can get this guy to pay me to leave, which is a thing that happens in New York. Yeah. I can get a, a buyout for like tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And once that became a thing, I was like, okay, well, just just finance, in terms of financial responsibility, I'm an asshole if I don't try to get this. So, but it was like a situation where I was like, is this going to take a month or is it going to take a year and a half? Like, I don't fucking know, you know? And I was negotiating with the guy and I was also talking to my roommates at the time who were saying, oh, we should fight him and keep living here. Think about all the money you'll save by like living here and stuff. Other people in my life were saying that. Like, I was asking other people about this and stuff, trying to get perspective on it. And I was also dating somebody on the fucking West Coast who we both travel a lot and stuff, but it was still like after a while, after like long distance for like a year, you kind of got to go like, what's going to happen here? And I was like, let me just fucking stick this out because I think if I get this paycheck, it'll change my life, you know? And uh, it's so, but this, okay, so we were podcasting during this time. Yeah. And I was really coming apart because I was working way too long hours at the, at the, place i worked at where it was like cool like it was a good situation somebody hooked me up with a job friend of mine and stuff but it wasn't like sustainable like it was a bar and they were like you don't get paid that much but you can drink as much as you want it's like well, i can't pay my fucking bills and beer and beer's not good for you you know so i was uh working these long hours do figuring out how to like be my own lawyer was like a big part of this i had to do yeah, all this crazy dude you didn't have you didn't have any representation. You did this on your own with the Lord, with the landlord. So my next door neighbor had a fucking dispute over rent with mm-hmm. one of his roommates. That roommate is a friend of mine, and he moved into my place when he got kicked out of the place next door because of his mm-hmm. dispute. So when my roommate moved in, the the guy next door organized like the building wide defense against the landlord. And he told our lawyer that we have a conflict of dispute with Jake's apartment. Cause there's a guy who lives in it. So he purposely tried to fuck us. He blocked us from using the only lawyer in New York who was like qualified to do loft law shit. And he, created a situation where he was trying to fucking fuck us. And so what we did is we like, pulled our resources and talked to everybody we know who knows the law and stuff. Amazing. And we fucking figured out. And I went, dude, it was so funny. I went to court and the lawyer who got blocked from using us. So we didn't like, we didn't give this guy any money. He's not our lawyer. He showed up. Right. And what I figured out legally is that you can just copy another lawyer's documents because they're like public domain. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So 
I submitted a bunch of documents that were clearly just photocopies of his with like my name put on them and stuff. Yeah. And he, he looked at me and he was like, nice work, pal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like thought it was funny. Um, and then I basically just showed up to court. And every time he spoke, I just went, uh, ditto. Oh, yeah, that also yeah. applies to apartment 207. <laughs> yeah. And he won. So we won and we didn't have to pay him. Right. Amazing. And then at the end of it, I eventually went to my fucking landlord because he was gearing up to start suing everybody again. And yeah. people were starting to fall one by one. And I was like, hey, man, just fucking pay me and I'll go. And he paid me like 25 grand to leave that apartment. Yeah. And also, I saved the money that I had saved from not paying rent for like better part of a year up to that point. And so when I got that, I was like, okay, all right, I can actually restart my life from here and fucking just leave this place in the dust behind me, you know? But like, I was real stressed out leading up to that. And it wasn't until I really got here, I like got into this apartment and I took a bunch of acid and I was starting to decompress <laughs> from all of it and stuff. You know, when you like get out of a relationship and then you realize how bad it was only after yeah. you've kind of shifted a little bit. I was like, oh, that's why um, things were coming apart on this podcast is because I was fucking... I was losing my mind, but in retrospect, if I could go back and do it again, I'd probably do the same thing because it, I had to do all that to get the money. Okay. But here's the thing. Um, I, it wasn't one sided, you know, um, it was also on my side. I was falling apart in different ways and, um, you know, it's a little bit weird for me because I'm not a performer. I am myself everywhere. This person, and I know you are too, honestly, but I'm not, not all performers are, but what I mean is I am not like well-versed in even like having people ha give me feedback, you know, like I left art school a very long time ago. <laughs> um, I didn't want to do academia because I wasn't like trying to grovel, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I don't mean to compare it and say that being a performer is groveling, but in a lot of ways it is like putting yourself out there entirely to have other people like, like you and support you and support your work. Yeah. And it's weird as someone who never set out to have this and then to suddenly have like, it's really nice to have people who are like, we miss, I missed the podcast and like, you guys are great. And then this is good. But there was a point where somebody wrote into the show and they like wrote this long ass paragraph <laughs> about how, <laughs> basically about how um, the show's great, love it, whatever. But it really seems clear that Lisa doesn't like, uh, is not interested in what Jake is saying. Like, she's, like, either cutting him off or she's, like, not letting him talk. She's, like, not listening. And I was, like, you know what? Fuck you. But you're right. <laughs> and I didn't say this to that person, but I was, like, so mad at them. I don't even know them. I don't even know them, okay? Yeah. No, and I was just this is the so... thing that sucks about being a performer. Is yeah, like... and I was so fucking mad that it got in my head that I was, like, you know what? It's true. I was being an asshole and you got me. <laughs> and I'm, like... But as you said, if we weren't feeling it anymore, I think my mistake actually, which is not something I do usually, is um, normally I'm more in touch with my psychological situation and my feelings and I cut it off before it like affects another person or is like visible to other people. But I do like doing the podcast with you. And I think you're right that like this is a uh, safe space or whatever for us to <laughs> be who we really are because it was never going to be the end of the friendship, right? It's just, do we still want to do this podcast thing? So for me, on my side, it was like weird pressures of like, I'm going through shit. Like, 
it sounds so stupid, but the precariousness of life under capitalism is something that like haunts me, Jake. No, <laughs> like, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, like I fucking, um, you know, people that report to me got laid off like four days before Christmas. Like fucking, um, it just, I know that I depend on my job <laughs> and like, at any moment, sorry, at any moment, like the industry can change. Like I have stress dreams that are all about like getting kicked out of my house and having to like carry all my belongings, but I don't have anything to put them in. Like, or I'm like stuck in an airport with no, like everything is like, I'm in a transitionary. So it's like, um, generational immigrant trauma, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get kicked out of here at any moment. I'm going to lose my job at any moment. So I'm going through all of this. And then there's people fucking, writing me goddamn emails about how I'm not listening the right way to Jake's story about comedy. And I'm like, fuck. Right. Fuck who cares? Comedy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't give a fuck, but I'm back. Not just because um, I missed you. I'm happy to talk to you. I want to hear all about LA and what's going on with you mentally and work wise and creatively, but also because there's a bunch of shit to be mad about. One number one. <laughs> And um, I did get to a good mental place again, good medication, went to therapy, did a little traveling, did a little um, getting back to the right place, although I still have a lot of stuff to work on, obviously. So that's where we're at. But I'm I'm ready to be mad about stuff and hear about what's going great in L.A. Yeah. Shit on it. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to take breaks. I mean, like the idea that you should be like constantly making content and stuff is so adverse to mental health and shit. And so I, it's in keeping of like what we're talking about here to take a fucking break and assess things and get better. I, um, you know, the thing that you said about capitalism, it's like obviously very true and probably not, not news to anyone who's like interested in a show like this, but I just think about it a lot because, um, Something that I have some perspective on now and some distance in terms of or how I was living six months ago versus how I am now is that like I had a pretty bad drug habit that was um, at the time I was like, aware of it, but I was like, and I kind of was aware of why I was doing it, but I was like, this is happening because I'm unhappy in my unhappy. physical yeah. living situation. Like a, as a way to cope with living in 538 was just yeah. doing drugs all the time and drinking and stuff like that. And, um, if I had never gotten out of there, it wouldn't have felt like it was relative to my bad living situation. It would have felt like a constant, like, this is just what life is, is you just get fucked up all the time to get to sleep because you kind of like don't have privacy and stuff like that. And I was thinking about that and like what, like the way that they paint the nature of addiction and like the drug war and stuff like that is like, oh, you know, these like cocaine is like heroin like you do one at once and now you're sucking a dick in the street to get more and it's not it's <laughs> mentally addictive not physically yeah. right so i moved out here and i got a studio apartment right it's in a horrible part of town it's fucking a third world country outside but white people are afraid of it and so the rent is cheap Perfect. and it's like <laughs> the sp- it's good space for the price yeah. and all i do now is and this is also because like New York, you walk around, everybody, everything happens in a bar, yada, yada, yada. Here, you know, you it's a problem. destination. Yeah. If I get invited to a thing, I go to it. But 
I'm not always trying to get out of the house. I'm not always uncomfortable because I'm surrounded by people. I've got this fucking space, which is something I really, really need, apparently, yeah. to figure it out, right? And uh, all I do is cook and watch TV and play video games and stuff. And I have there's substances I haven't even craved the entire time I've been here, much less, like, done. That's awesome. You know, and it's like they'll come up and shit and they're here and there or whatever, especially on like social shit. But it's not this like problem where it was like kind of stark where it was like I have to do this to just fucking like be in my own home. You know, that's a fucking bad situation. So like uh, I but the capitalism thing, it's frustrating because like I'll be in therapy and I'm like talking this out with a therapist and they're often coming at this from like. Uh, a way to how are your parents like yeah yeah, and you're like that's part of this but literally the fucking money we're crushed by capitalism (laughs) yeah like the answer is people should have resources that's it and everything fucking knocks over domino wise from there everything folds unfolds from there and things get better when you just have resources so like years of therapy you, you spend years in therapy and at the end of it you go the reason i got better was because i got lucky money wise like i kind of won the lottery that that doesn't actually uh tell a good story in terms of like therapy being a thing that yeah. helps you know what i mean it's just or, observing things yeah or even that like uh not just getting money but also maybe just like realigning your expectations to fit your reality that's what i would say happens with me like um it's funny to me because people will be like oh, wow, and you chose not to have children. And there are a lot of reasons, but there's also like, what on earth makes you think I could afford to have children? Right. Like, that is insane to me. I haven't even paid, like my student loan is literally going to be on my headstone. Yeah. If there's like a debtor's cemetery plot area, (laughs) that's what I'm going to be. Just because we're like, you know, okay with that doesn't mean I'm okay with not having the fucking option because. No, and I I really like that you brought it up as therapy because that's the main thing that I have a problem with, with therapists is that they want to, and people too, just in general, like, I don't think that we all realize that society in general is gaslighting us by telling us like, oh, it's you. If you are unhappy and you feel stressed out and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like there's no support and like everything's impossible, it's your mental health. It's how your family raised you. It's your financial situation. It's you. But it's yeah, never. You have a chemical imbalance. I fucking yeah, hate that word. Exactly. Chemical imbalance, a mood disorder, a personality disorder. And look, I'm not discounting that obviously like brains have chemistry and all that shit, but like. A lot of it is the isolation that comes with capitalism, the isolation of like, you know, we've all seen that meme, I think, that is like, ooh, under communism, everybody's going to have to work in a factory and be the same. And then under capitalism, it's just like an endless, like, row of cubicles. (laughs) What do you think we are, dude? (laughs) Like, what do you think we are? So the endless feeling of being, having to be a cog in a machine, otherwise you will not survive. It's not made up. It's not in your brain, in your mind. Like you didn't fucking come make it up because you have a nervous disorder, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, it's constantly the, you can get kicked out of your place at any time. You can, you know, I don't know. You see migrants that are just like used to, I will not live in one place for more than three months because I will lose my housing. I will lose. Everything's temporary. Um, 
and jobs, it's the same thing. Jobs can lay you off at any moment. Industries can change. Uh, COVID can happen. And then you're just fucked because our society is just composed in a way to consume our labor and turn us into consumers. But there is nothing coming back to us in terms of growing a society that keeps people healthy and educated and alive and housed. Yeah, it's truly terrifying. Like, this, it's weird. I, I used to have a joke about how, like, you get older and, like, horror movies aren't scary anymore because, like, yeah. the things that you're afraid of are, like, that. And that's not, like... It's like landlords. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. The yeah. darkest depths of my mind are just some mornings you wake up and you're just like, what if I just can't keep making money? Like, that's yeah. fucked up, you know? No, or you have an accident, you know, or you have, you know, we've had um, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to name him, but we know a comedian who was just, I think it was like at a New Year's party. and He fell through a skylight in a roof in L.A., uh, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they were like... I think they broke their spine. So they've had just like years. It's been a couple of years of like physical rehab and, you know, being disabled and having to depend on their partner to help them with a lot of stuff. It's really hard. And you never know when some shit like that can happen to you. And is it also going to cripple you then financially? I'm sorry, that was a bad choice of words. But is it then going to also like ruin your life financially? You know what I mean? On top of all of the physical hardship that you have to go through. There's no system in this country for like supporting people, especially if you weren't somebody who was already rich or you weren't, you know, someone who was already important in some way, quote unquote. Yeah, I mean the the class barrier is like not actually permeable, and the only way to yeah. uh, to actually like get yourself made as like a comic or something like that is to do something that guarantees you like a perpetual income. Which is why I'm always beefing with these stupid libertarians. It's like I know where you get your money it's from fucking TPUSA, right? You're a weird yeah. mouthpiece for libertarians, and like the the I mean, yo, I got a little bit of chunk change, and I the the term I used as soon as I got that payout is I'm hood rich because I know if you don't know what hood rich means, it's, um, it's when you're not wealthy, it's that you got an amount of money that doesn't regenerate itself. So it's, you're going to spend it and you're going to get back down to zero and everyone's going to make a joke about you being like a fucking, you know, temporary lottery millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I told that I I mentioned that phrase one time to a very white person I know, and they went, Oh, you mean Irish rich? Cause apparently that's in Europe. Wow. I had never heard that. That is so (laughs) weird, but that makes sense though. Irish people are cool. (laughs) They're, uh, have been referred to as the blacks of Europe. Your mic turned up a little bit. I don't know what happened. You're a little hot. Oh, am I hot? Okay, great. Great. Yeah. You're good. It was fun. Oh, turn up a little bit more. <laughs> okay, how's that? That's good. That's good. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I've been thinking about that a lot because I'm like, yo, like I've seen it happen to a million people I know. You get a little bit of money, you think, oh, everything's going to be fine. Instantly, all that, all it takes is one thing happening and you're back down to being like the 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 state the state of balance for yeah. people in our class is to be constantly kept like at the edge of almost being homeless. And like you can win like tens of thousands of dollars, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, yeah. the s- system will push you back down there. Cause you'll, you only have to get sick one time or have like something come up. Or a and family then family member gets sick or die that doesn't have anyone else to help them or, uh, yeah. Or if anything happens and you have money in the bank, you don't really, you're not really 
allowed to do a GoFundMe, right? So you just spend the money and then you get down to being broke. And then the next time something happens, you do a GoFundMe or whatever with like yeah. crowdsourcing the way we're have to crowdsource help from each other and stuff like that. It's uh, it, 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 it is like equalizing, but it's equalizing in terms of keeping us all like, you know, in the surplus well, it, fucking work, whatever the fuck that Marxist it's term only, is. Only, it's only redistribution amongst the lower classes, so it's sort of like <laughs> in Snowpiercer when they share, like, the roach um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. blocks or whatever with each other. It's like, yeah, cool, that is communism, <laughs> but <laughs> it's only, like, the lowest classes doing it with meager ends, and um, it, it's something, you know, I've been in it with my family where we would be at one point like passing each other the same $200 because somebody would be like, oh, I'm going to overdraft. I'm going to pay my rent. Can you give me $200? And you would. And then like two weeks later, I'd be like, hey, dude, do you have those $200? Because I'm going to overdraft. <laughs> and so it would be just like passing them around, passing them around. And to, so it's like a shared income situation where none of us are actually making the income that is reported because we are sharing yeah yeah um it really sucks and you know i'm not gonna jump to fucking gaza shit <laughs> palestine shit but oh, man um i don't know i mean i'm i know you're aware but <sighs> this piece of shit president of ours um he has not done anything about student loans at all, right? And this is yeah. the, least, the least of the problems. But I bring it up in relation because of the fact that student loan payments resumed a few weeks ago. So amidst our country using our money to bomb children in, pa in Palestine, um, they had the gall to then like send out bills for student loans i'll do you one even worse i don't know if you know about this did you know that in israel college is free oh. <laughs> for the fucking people that serve in the idf which is everyone yeah. and guess who pays for it we do yeah <laughs> fuck them dude and it's um it's really fucked up because what he did what biden did with the whole student loan thing was be like oh i can't do anything about it oh my god i can't uh, my hands are tied but yet he's fucking given israel weapons three times by going around congress and secretly doing it but you fucking can't forgive student loan debt eat me dude you can fucking not have child prisons at the border Oh my God. Um, and I am absolutely mad about people online. <laughs> so stupid. I have many stupid complaints, but like people online, especially telling like Muslims or brown Americans that if they say anything about not voting for Biden, then they're, they're like welcoming fascism. And then these yeah. fucking psychos mask off racists will say shit. Like, uh, oh, so you're going to tweet something like this? You're not going to vote for Biden? I can't wait to see you on the boat when they're sending you back. Oh, do you think you're a liberal saying shit like that? Do you think yeah, that uh, you aren't a racist fucking piece of shit who is being like, I'm the good one who welcomes you fucking crazy animals into our country? That's literally what you sound like. You're a fucking disgusting racist. To tell people who are watching their family members die. They're the place that they grew up destroyed and bombed. And you're going to tell them it's their fault if this country falls to fascism. Are you fucking insane? 
Yeah. I also like at this point with how bad things are, are in Gaza, I'm like, everyone's talking about this, this foreboding, like incoming fascism. Fucking fascism is happening over there. So do you like the question eventually just becomes like, are you so like first worldist that you only care about stuff happening here? Yeah. Like I'm voting against fascism by fucking trying to come up with any way to resist these fucking people that are doing yeah. this. Okay. Exactly. Or I mean, I guess voting's not the fucking word, but like you, I just don't believe anyone is con- that concerned with fascism. If they're able to paper over what's happening with like 10,000 children be exploded by a fucking client country of ours, you know? Uh, well, and look, um, uh. I don't want to, I think you had more to say, but um, let me just put a pin in the fact that we need to talk about um, stand of New York and just um, Zionism and comedy in general, because that is our lane. And, you know, like maybe it might sound stupid to focus on that when there's like fucking children dying on a daily basis and old people and like whatever, but journalists, fuck. Um, But there is something extremely interesting to connect to what you were saying about like the TikTok videos and the Instagram videos that comics have to put up. That is, it's not really your job. Yeah. It's what you're doing to reach a particular audience. There's something very interesting going on with how the IOF presents itself online, how much money they're spending on actual ads on like um, TV networks and shit. Like they're going traditional media and spending millions of dollars to put ads up that are fucking straight up racist and like they they equate pro-Palestine protesters with being like blinded pro-rapist idiots who are being tricked. <laughs> you know, like it's fucking terrible. Yeah. Meanwhile, Al-Qassam puts out videos that are very specifically tailored to something else. And I think it's important to talk about this like crossover this uh what do you call it the venn diagram of ha- the words that we put online and how they're connected to our real actions in life yeah because comedians obviously exist in this world where they are doing this version of themselves for some to a uh, uh, more mm, more of a degree than others i guess <laughs> in terms of like packaging and bottling a specific version of themselves to put online or to sell tickets or to do whatever. And others are just being themselves, but they're still doing like, I got to promote, I got to do this shit, whatever. So I think it bears looking at these comics who are being like, well, I don't know anything. I'm just going to stay out of it. And looking at these comics who are like, yeah, no, Israel has a right to defend herself. You are fucking, you hate Jewish people. If you want us to stop bombing children, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, horrible shit so i want to talk about it we can't just pretend that it's like okay at this point to not fucking have an opinion and honestly it's not okay to be a zionist so this is a point where i'm like it's not okay to disagree with me <laughs> no this is why i'm glad that we're doing this again because yeah. you know over the last like nine months or whatever i've had like these moments where every once in a while like a movie comes out or there's like a controversy in comedy where i'm like hmm, man you know what i do kind of wish i still had why you mad to go like break down like you know Oh, Louisa, did you see Tar? You know, like, let's talk about that or whatever. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's great. Um, and like, you know, I don't know if, uh, for a while I was like glad to have the break and have like space to kind of get my head, you know, around everything and like reform. But after a while, I started to really kind of have this itch. And when Palestine broke off, I was like, 
okay, we actually like need to talk about this. Like I have a need, need to, to counteract this. This is yeah, becoming really. important. And like the reason that I, I, I think that you just hit the fucking nail on the head is like, okay, so on PDA, I I'm doing a series right now. I read this book called a hundred years war on Palestine. It's really great, good. Great, yeah. And I'm uh, kind of doing like a, cha- a chapter by chapter thing. And I don't want to spoil it. I haven't got to the end of it yet, but it's obviously important to spoil the end of it. Uh, at the conclusion that this writer came to that wrote it, and then, or at least one of the conclusions that really stuck out to me is that the constant factor that worked in Israel's favor over the course of the entire history of this situation that really gave them the advantage and the things that the, the Palestinian leadership and like the PLO and Fatah and stuff like that failed at was getting in on the PR game really fucking early. And uh, you know, that public relations is like designed to maintain international fucking power like this. That's where it came from. Uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew, what's his name? Edward Bernays, like literally yeah. created public relations in, uh, in the process of overthrowing the Guatemalan government. To we hate install, that guy. Yeah. To, <laughs> uh, install the fucking banana republics and stuff like that. Right. Um, and the reason that this conflict or this, this iteration of this flashpoint of the resistance that Palestine is engaged in against Israel is playing out a little bit differently than previously is because the internet and social media provided actual possibilities for public relations in defense of Palestine and Israel. And because that is not only a new like terrain for uh, helping in that situation and for giving some sort of advantage to the oppressed party here, not only is it new, but it's like maybe the most crucial one Watching anyone who has a public voice not do the right thing here is enough to make me never want to do this fucking art form again. And I love it, but it's like one of those situations where I was like, like, fuck, if if that's what it takes to work in stand up is, you know, your bosses are the people that run comedy clubs are fucking Zionists. Do you fuck? Can you how could you possibly fucking either? Join their side or do this middling like oh it, I I can do both like I, guess I, I don't know anything shit, yeah. you know and like yeah. I was just thinking about this because I was talking to somebody on Twitter who's like a friend of mine but like we fucking get into shit sometimes or whatever and like they're um we I don't know like I unfollowed them and then like we talked about it and I was like it's fucking fine I don't care I don't remember what we were talking about but they they said to me a thing that like specifically a lot of like waspy comics always say to me about fucking twitter which is uh they go it's okay twitter's not real uh, um you know it's uh that's it's just its own isolated thing or whatever and you like, should just say to those people it's okay your act is not real yeah <laughs> like okay. what your is real it's not real <laughs> yeah is the only thing that's real you're like direct experience in your little personal life all the time no the things the things you say are real and they should they do uh, you should want them to be real you should want them to affect things and stuff like that and like there's all the potential here for some sort of like momentum or wave to overcome what's happening with israel it's happening already to an extent but it needs to reach a more critical mass and like fucking zionist comedians whatever they're out of their fucking minds they were probably indoctrinated with this shit a lot of them but the people that are just like gonna try to go along to get along here are like the people that fucking really make me lose my mind and like sorry to interrupt but especially people of color and and of working class like what are you doing dude what are you doing you're trying to get ahead and it's Mm -hmm. fucking disgraceful and like i mean it's like did you listen to that (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. I have to bring this up eventually. Did you listen to that Cat Williams interview that everyone's talking about? No, I've avoided. I've seen a couple of, and like several people have sent it to me, but I know that he like is saying that everybody fucking sucks, right? Yeah, he kind of. I don't agree with him 100 percent because he's a comic, so his his entire focus is on who gets ahead in comedy, which is like stupid and doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But he is pointing out a lot of other comics of his generation who made these sort of deals to get ahead themselves and saying like the proof is in the pudding man like eventually we're all going to realize that steve harvey wore fake hair apparently that's one of the things (laughs) (laughs) he's had a wig (laughs) and he's like when you make these fucking short-sighted short-handed decisions to try to get ahead a little bit you know, eventually everyone's going to come around and realize, and he always, he, Cat Williams keeps making about himself in this interview, but he's, he's going to realize, they're all going to realize I was a better comic and stuff. And like, and I never, Cat Williams could, is awesome. <laughs> he rules. He's always been an iconoclast like this. And like, totally. he's, he's doing something kind of annoying because it's just within the world of comedy. But I understand yeah. why, like with black comics, like I think specifically, yeah. that's kind of a thing because it's like, it, you're just kind of, you either have to make it or you're just you're well, gonna but, die. you know like i saw some people being like ah he's just an old guy being an old guy and like oh roy wood jr had a really funny reply to it which was like somebody tweeted uh i don't care about anybody's takes ex- about this cat williams shit except whatever roy wood jr has got to say and, <laughs> and roy quote tweeted it and was like all i know is when the uncles get in a fight in the barbecues the nephew stays out of it. <laughs> and it's like, that's beautiful and perfect. But I'm going to counteract that by saying like, you know, um, John Marco and Jay, who we mentioned up top, I think part of the reason that they probably come up on our feed and that I like them as comics is not just that they're funny and stuff, but, and nice, nice boys, nice men. Um, but also they are a rare example of like, comics who are succeeding within the uh, traditional paths in some ways, and yet they are not afraid to make jokes at the expense of comedy industry, of comedy as a concept of other comedians. Um, They're a couple that I think we can count on usually to like have distance and make fun of fucking comics who aren't funny and TikTok kids who think they're going to do stand up and it's going to be so easy. And Dave Chappelle putting out yet another garbage special, <laughs> you know, and um, also actually, I don't know if Jay has taken a stance on Palestine, but not to put any pressure on you, Jay Jordan, but take a fucking stance. But anyway, um, no, put pressure. Yeah, pressure. But Jen Marco, Jen Marco, and he is part Jewish. Um, so I will say this there Oh, Jake, I have been simultaneously like really surprised and um, n- not to be up- off topic, but like my best friend is Lebanese. You know, I grew up in Miami with a lot of different types of people. So like, and I guess just who I am and what I studied, I knew about Palestine for a long time, but especially in Miami, it was like not okay to talk about it. It was not, it was like, you want to start a fight with people. They really treat it like if you even brought up the word Palestine, you're anti-Semitic. And for us to go from that to like, now there are fucking daily protests with a thousand plus people in cities all over the world being like, this is not okay. Um, Even the UN is just like being stopped by America. (laughs) Basically like every stupid bureaucratic fucking entity is even coming to the right side of this 
And it's really been amazing, especially to see Jewish comedians, you know, I don't mean to give only them props because it's also been amazing to see Palestinian and Arab and Muslim comics find funny in this shit, continue to make videos and to fight the Hasbra to like directly address the the lies coming out of Israel yeah. and the IOF while still like finding a way to keep trying to find and make joy. That's amazing. And then the Jewish comedians that have done the right thing, you know, like you said, a lot of them are indoctrinated, had been indoctrinated and it is really hard. It is really hard just like coming out as gay or trans or atheist, to be honest with you, as somebody who had to do that. Um, having to go against your tribe is really hard. The very first punishment that humanity developed was exile. Being kicked out of your group is the thing that hurts us the absolute most. It could kill us. There's people who die from it. <laughs> you understand me? Yeah. So the having the courage to not only re-educate yourself, but then to speak up against what your parents and your cousins and all your family members and the people that you share a community with and like tell them that they're wrong and hear them tell you that you're like self-hating and that you're a traitor and things like that. Amazing, amazing stuff. But then I'm so disappointed simultaneously with all of the ones who have either gone full Zionist or have done the very shameful, like, Oh, I don't know anything about dude. You fucking make jokes about gayness. You don't know anything about gayness. You don't know anything about dating and you right. fucking talk about dating. You don't know anything about fucking cooking and you talk about, you don't know anything. You're a comedian. So if you feel like you don't know anything about this, it's been 90 days. You had enough time and it's literally been 75 years. So actually you had way more time than that to talk to someone, to pick up a book, to instead of being like, oh, this is what the person who owns this club says or like to be honest with you Karen Margolis is out there losing her fucking mind and I, you know she grew up in Israel I believe um, and so I understand some of these people have family there and shit but it's like okay well tell them that they need to move out of there have you invited them to come here <laughs> you know it's so funny to me that Zionists will be like well why does why don't any of the Arab countries and their family members in America like take them in that's horrible I'm like yeah why don't you take Israeli family in. They would be safe here. You say that they're supposedly not safe over there. Right. <laughs> they got to go to bomb shelters all the time. They're welcome in Brooklyn. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, for real. Real welcome. <laughs> you know, real welcome. also like to hear this shit from a bunch of comedians who, yeah. it's like you, you're constantly insisting how fucking interesting the role of stand-up comedian is and that you cower from the idea of learning things and saying hard things. Well, what the fuck is this then, right? I thought that was our entire thing, is that we say hard things and we know shit. rolling over in his grave. But that inherently conflicts with what the actual reality of trying to get ahead as a comedian is, because you have to take up so much of your fucking time that you would have spent reading a fucking book or listening to a podcast. It's fucking easy now. You can listen to audiobooks and podcasts and shit. You, can, you don't have time to do all that shit if you are trying to get at the fucking front of the rat race. Because in order to do that, 
you have to just hang out and network and stuff and really just warp your own reality to justify everything you're doing, like working with these fucking club owners who are Zionists, like the guy who owns fucking stand up New York. So like you defeat the idea that, that you supposedly, you know, got into this for the, for, for the, in the first place to do like to, to, be a comic. I mean, admit that you're a fucking loser and that you're you're here to pander and say the popular thing, you know, and that yeah. and to be wrong about shit. And then fucking great. But you're a clown. You're not yeah. a fucking comic after that. You're the least edgy thing that ever existed. Yeah. But that's yeah. not I mean, I like they're doing that because it's fucking incentivized and like yeah. um, you know, and but Cat Williams was kind of like he was unraveling a lot of this logic with what he was talking about because, like, I enjoyed it a lot because, you know, the response to him was the same response that I fucking get, which is like, oh, you're just jealous of these people oh or whatever. Oh, God. And it's like, okay, is, is that just every time anyone criticizes a comedian ever is because they're jealous of them and they, like, they should just work harder or whatever? Just work harder and then just outshine them or whatever. No, you're allowed to fucking critique people. And, Absolutely. like, you know, he was talking about, like, the way that people – just made all of these sort of um, short-sighted compromises in order to get one over and to get ahead a little bit and how, um, you know, eventually it just, it, it's exposed for being the wrong fucking thing. It, like one of the things he talked about was how he would get offered roles in movies and turn them down. And one of them was big mama's house too, because he showed up and they were like, you're going to wear a dress. And he was like, <laughs> no, I'm not. Why are we doing this? Like, yeah. He said to fucking, what's the lead role? He was like, you could not wear a dress. This is a second movie. You could do other mm-hmm. shit, but you're choosing to like perpetuate something that he saw as like, you know, demeaning to, to black yeah. men that they like, that's the only yeah. way you can get a fucking role or whatever. And that's why he's not in the movie, you yeah. know? Well, it's also fucking Flip Wilson shit. It's like decades old bullshit like minstrelsy kind of shit that is not necessary anymore yeah man i'm reading cliff nesteroff's new book it's got a bunch oh, of it good? yeah it's really good i love him i followed him for a long time and he was awesome because he always posted um all these like uh archival clips from newspapers from like the 30s 40s 50s where it's like jake it makes you feel real dumb because it's like the same shit comedian like people writing into newspapers being like i can't believe they let jack parr say that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> i watched um he, he he like did a a release for his book that yeah. like right uh here in la right um and it was a bunch of that stuff and like kind of the thrust of his book is is it's based on like a lot of these like old newspaper clippings proving and stories from the past proving that like outrage has always been a thing right but what i what i was really interesting to me looking at all this is i started to realize that the lesson here is not necessarily even just that like cancel culture is fake and it's always existed it's not a modern phenomenon or whatever it's specifically the project of the right wing has been to take this thing that's always existed, which is criticism and critique and outrage and stuff like that, and create a narrative that it's a, it's two things. It's recent, it's only recent, and that it's only left wing. And those two things are not true. It's been here forever, and it's also both sides. 
Because there's always it's, it's think about it. Like it's weird that we live in this world where everyone's saying like, "Oh, you woke people are out of control and they're offended by everything." And it's like, yeah. do you remember the '90s when like religious people were complaining about like fucking music and all this Did culture? You know, Connor got like excommunicated for tearing up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. You fucking weirdos! It's always been this. But Jake, you have given me the perfect entry to what I wanted to talk to you about, which is this sure. um, concept of the the media the pr right the videos that uh the iof is putting out versus alkasam and specifically i want to talk to you about who the audience is for these right because i kind of am starting to think john marco was the one that said the thing you originally mentioned because mm-hmm. i remember him saying something like uh this is a thing that we make specifically for this not for the people who come see us do stand up right yeah and so there's thing, this thing in comedy that we have to acknowledge that the live comedy audiences who come to see you, there may be an overlap, but they're mostly distinct from the audiences who think all of comedy is what they see on their phone, right? Yeah. All of comedy is front-facing character videos. It's um, silly dances on TikTok. It's yelling on podcasts at each other and it's clips of you yelling at a, at a crowd, right? Yeah. The crowd. Um, but we who see live stand up know that that's like fucking 1% of what you actually do. Right. But there's this, uh, implicit acceptance that there are two audiences, one, which appreciates and comes for the art of stand up, and one which I am feeding small parts of myself to, <laughs> to keep this like digital number of an audience high, because that's now a measurement that the industry uses to measure my value, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like venues care how many followers you have, agents, all that kind of bullshit, right? So to me, this is like a little bit similar to what's going on with um, the IOF and, well, just Israel in general and Al-Qassam and Hamas and other um, resistance fighters. The videos that are coming out of Israel are, first, there's the official version that I mentioned earlier, which is a million dollar campaign to smear protesters, to appeal to Christians about dead the dead babies of October 7th. There's one, Jake, that I saw that was like straight up, I think it was on Hulu, and it straight up just says, Joe Biden says babies were beheaded on October <laughs> 7. So like not even, we're not even going to go with proof. <laughs> we're yeah. just going to go with your president said it without ever having proof. So that's fucking, you believe Joe Biden, don't you? If not, you love Trump. <laughs> you know, so it's like fucking ridiculous. So that's the high level campaign coming out of Israel. That campaign is specifically geared at non-Israeli external audiences, right? It's like one that I saw has Santa Claus in it, reading a letter from an Israeli kid being like, oh, Santa, if you can help us not get, not have to be in the bomb shelter anymore. <laughs> like, what, you know, like that's fucking tearjerker story. And it's like, dude, 8,000 dead Palestinian children and you are going to act like whatever. So this is a high level. And then the real main level, the big machine of producing PR for the IOF and for, um, Israel and its aggression and its occupation is 
the soldiers and the regular Israeli people on TikTok and on Instagram and on Twitter posting the most heinous fucking war crimes, first of all, but they are framed as jokes, Jake. I don't know if you've seen this. So the soldiers, Israeli soldiers will be in like a totally bombed out girls, like a Palestinian girl's room, trying on her underwears, like putting her, their bras, her bras on top and like dancing around. I saw a video of an uh, an IOF soldier taking the prayer rug from inside of a bombed out Palestinian home and putting it in the toilet on the floor, stepping on it and then closing the door as he unbuttoned his pants because he's going to take a shit on it. Okay. Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's a video of an IOF soldier uh, blowing up a building and dedicating it to his three-year-old daughter for her birthday. Uh, There's a video of an IOF soldier um, proposing to another soldier in the middle of a bombed out Gaza neighborhood. Okay. These people are a perverse society that associates colonialism and oppression and complete destruction with their safety and their identity and their everything. So they have this problem where all these videos that they're producing, they're not for us. Okay. The videos, uh, there's also videos of like what they're calling Palestinian face or Brown face, which is Mm -hmm. like regular fucking Israelis, like not soldiers in their house with their children making TikTok videos where they're dressed like Palestinians, quote unquote, where they have like drawn on a unibrow and they've blacked out one of their teeth and they have put on kafiyas over their heads or like garbage bags over their heads. And they're doing things like, dude, Jake, there's one where a mother, they're all dressed like this, like they're Palestinians, quote. And the kid who's like four is like coming out of the doghouse in the backyard And the mom is like pushing him back in with a broom and they're all laughing. This is how you treat. You have to treat Palestinians. You have to put them in the doghouse. Another one that was just like an Israeli in his house, like, oh, look at me. I have electricity. Look at this fresh water and like throwing water (laughs) like fucking assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the most horrible. I saw one today that was some soldiers like getting stripped down naked right on the Gaza beach and being like, we own this beach now. We're going to go dip it in. So they went and like swam freely. It's in the middle of a war where you've killed 20,000 plus people and you are freely like being like, look, it's our beach now. Okay. Right. Horrible shit. And this is all made for this audience that is internal to Israel. Right. Yeah. So if they feel as a country and as a culture humiliated by the violation of that happened on October 7th of the iron dome actually getting violated, the way that they are um, reaffirming their manhood as a nation to themselves internally is through these videos of humiliation through quote comedy, right? That is racist. That is, Oh, it's so edgy. And the way they take it, when you see their replies, like people will be like, yo, this is fucking racist. This is a war crime. You're showing yourself doing a war crime. (laughs) And they will just be like, Oh, you just don't get it. You know, you, you don't get comedy. <laughs> you know, right, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my fucking God. What dimension am I in? Okay. Meanwhile. Oh, and I read this thing that was a, a similar analysis of what's going on with this like media they're putting on. And this person said that she thought, you know, do you remember that there was a video that came out probably like three weeks into this aggression that was of an Israeli soldier giving water to a Palestinian older man? 
and it was like, oh, look at us. We're so nice. We're helping right. <laughs> like a, a refugee that we displaced, whatever. But they're like helping him. And then a few hours later, about 12 hours later, the next video came out, which was that those same soldiers shot the man after that video was recorded. Okay. Right. And the analysis that I read was like the need to pander in blood to their own culture makes it impossible for any Israeli soldier to put out anything that could be perceived as being soft on Palestinians, soft on Muslims. It's why everybody got so mad at the Hamas hostages. They were like, oh, thank you so much for the treatment. Yeah. Was great. <laughs> People, Israelis were furious because they can't have this like emasculation as a nation. And that's, you know, this person posited that's why they like killed the soldier and, and leaked probably the video, uh, killed the Palestinian they had helped for that video and then right. probably purposefully leaked the video of the guy getting killed for their internal audience. You get me? So it was yeah. like, we're going to make the one where we're giving him water for the Western audience. Right. I see what you're saying. Because you, you have, they're just like comics. They have two different audiences. Exactly. <laughs> and then you're, you're totally picking up what I'm putting down. Okay. Yeah. And then here's where we're going to get like, fucking excommunicate me. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm pro Hamas. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> Al-Qassam is like, I guess they're media wing, you know, they uh, make all the cool videos. If you haven't seen them, it's really crazy if you're only getting your information from like CNN or even BBC or anything like that, because we now have the ability to get the news directly from a resistance force. Like that's historically amazing that you can get, just like Israel puts out its little fucking reports of all its made up numbers and whatever the fuck. And then all of CNN and all of corporate media repeats it. You can get the numbers from the other side. Yeah. And you can get the videos from the other side. And um, Al-Qassam puts out videos and all their videos, Jake, they're not funny. I mean, some of them are unintentionally funny. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> you about that. But they're extremely serious and technical um every single one of them has this little upside down red triangle that shows where the shot is going to be fired every single video shows literally a fucking man in sandals popping out from a hole and like saying a prayer in arabic and then aiming at a tank and destroying a tank destroying soldiers that are like hanging out in a fucking field that they just like murdered everyone in yeah um are targeting towers where all the surveillance that is used to like monitor and oppress and control Palestinians, they're taking those down. Al-Qassam, um, none of them, uh, Hamas, none of the resistance fighters are posting themselves proudly desecrating any religious space like the IOF has, proudly fucking shitting on mosques and like, dude, horrible, horrible shit. Yeah. And they want to tell us that the animals and the terrorists are the people who are like fully fighting against their oppressor, directly attacking those who hurt them. They get, um, you know, uh, so one of the things that Hamas does <laughs> that is awesome <laughs> is that they play um, recordings of children playing when they, there's an Israeli tank coming. Right. Because mm -hmm. basically the IOF kills children all the time on purpose. Right. 
So they know that putting up sounds of children playing is basically like luring these fucking animals. I saw someone, some Israeli propaganda yeah. where they tried, they took a video of this and they said, look, they uh-huh. are like, they tried to use it for their own narrative and say like, look, the, they would, the, they would try to use like this recording of children as a way to deter us. And it's like, you're what like, people in their own it replies are like, yeah. this proves that you like killing children. Totally. <laughs> that, exactly. sh- that should deter you. <laughs> you yeah. shouldn't drive a tank toward the sound of fucking children, dude. Yeah, dude. Not one. Listen, I'm telling you as a person who for the last 90 days, I've stayed on top of like what's coming out of Yemen, like everything that I possibly can, Lebanon and like not... Jake, not one video desecrating a religious space, not one video mocking a woman's private property, not one video taking a shit on somebody's personal property or fucking specifically targeting women or children. And the IOF has done nothing but turn hospitals and schools into graves. And then videos of themselves making fun of it. So there's something in the whole like comedy of it for them that I think is like a new version, a new um, icing on top of capitalism, I mean, of colonialism that I, I don't think. Is it new like. though? Like the thing is we just didn't have videos and shit like that. Cause right. the, the thing about, so the thing about what Israel is doing that I think is really interesting. It doesn't come up enough is uh, it's, it's a project that was started during an era before modern, like neoliberal extraction. So what's really weird about this and what's, what makes it so grotesque to look at is that they're doing 1800s, like 19th century style colonialism. Absolutely. Yeah. That happened at the time with the fucking continent that we live on when white people came here and genocided indigenous people. It also happened in Australia. And at the time, because multiple States were doing that and because the world was just the way it was, it was, you know, obviously as fucked up as it is, but it wasn't like a thing that people would look at and be like this disgusted by because uh, it was normal. Like it was just like argued. They, they used all the same uh, points that they argue now uh, to try to justify it and say like, well, there's like nothing else that can be done. Manifest destiny, Lebensraum, whatever the fuck Australia needs to be taken over. Right. Yeah. But it's literally like from a different time and it's from the time of fucking minstrel shows and stuff like that and what's different is fucking uh technology and eyeballs so like you know the the vietnam war is like an interesting turning point in this stuff where it was like the first war that had all these fucking journalists yeah yeah televised i mean there were journalists like in previous to that like um you know korea there were journalists and they fucking ignore a newspaper you can't ignore the nightly news if you sit around with your family and all watch it and shit yeah, but also institutional power quashed the efforts of journalists in Korea. Like they specifically that's why it's called the Forgotten Wars cuz like the state was like you can't like it censored a lot of shit. Came out later, but no one cared later, right? So like what's different now is that you're seeing stuff that always would have happened and it's probably being catalyzed by the fact that it has an audience. Like that's probably a little bit different, right? It's uh there's more of an incentive for it to be part of the PR like movement or whatever. Um but <sighs> I don't think it's anything new. I think it's like it's in keeping with colonial shit that's always existed. I will say something. I want to. This is this is complicated, and I don't want to give any fucking credence to the side uh, that supports what Israel's doing on this. Um, but like, I don't personally kind of think that it it does us a lot of good to probably deny that anyone in Hamas has ever done anything war crimey. Well, well, oh, not, war, not of course not. 
War crimes are a bad word because you kind of have yeah. to be the oppressor to commit no, a war that crime. Done anything bad during war that is like Hamas is kill other soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Hamas is like a fucking right wing, you know, religious thing. Event eventually in a vacuum, I probably wouldn't want to hang out with Hamas. But in the situation they're in, what my argument and I think the right argument here is not that we have to argue that like Hamas is good. It's it's, it's irrelevant whether their moral characters, this or that, or their fucking values as an organization or this or that, given the situation, because the situation was engineered for them to be the militia that gets politicized and gets, because uh, like, a lot of people don't know is that October 7th was a, like a, um, a coalition, a united front of a bunch of different militias. Multiple, yeah. No one knows the names of the other ones. Hamas was only one of them, but Hamas mm-hmm. is purposely set up by Israel because they know that people will be sympathetic to the idea that, oh, they're kind of like, you know, fucking the Taliban or whatever, because well, they're they kind have, of far They need right. an excuse to uh, invade every few years. Yeah. And the thing is, and like, um, reduce the territory. Sorry. You know, right wing people like to point out this shit of like, oh, they they probably they're homophobic in Hamas probably or whatever. And the thing is, sure, it doesn't a it doesn't fucking matter because it, resistance by any means necessary is by any means necessary. Like, if I'm in a jail cell and there's a fucking serial killer trying to kill me, and the guy next to me is an asshole and he saves my life, he saved my life. It doesn't fucking matter whether he's an asshole. Yeah. You know, that's the situation. Like we're people in. haven't watched Alien Three and Predators. <laughs> <laughs> Alien 3 and Predators are two movies that are very specifically about how um, the hero does not have to be pure of heart to be the hero. Yeah, no, that uh, also we don't hold our own soldiers on our side or on the Israel side to that standard. Totally. No, and there's this thing like, don't pinkwash it. Not you per- personally, but like other people, don't pinkwash it like it's fucking like, oh, they're they're conservative and they hate gay people. You cannot get married in Israel as gay people. They, they just fucking passed, hate gay people. They hate gay people too. They just passed the fucking you can adopt as gay people like literally three weeks ago as part of their propaganda to try to pinkwash what they're doing right now. Yeah, now they're acting um, like they've been doing it the whole time, you know? Exactly. Also, no, it's fucking The only act. thing is like liberatory movements, you know, there's a great example that this person on Twitter was talking about just historically with like, Murray. um, uh, <laughs> Murray just jumped on my lab. Um, there, there were, um, there was this like fucking coal miners movement, uh, that, you know, people would say in England, like, Oh, they're, but they're homophobic. Why are you supporting them? If you're like, you know, these emergent queer, uh, groups and stuff, queer liberation groups back in like the eighties and nineties and a bunch of, queer groups supported this fucking whatever the fuck was going on with this this coal miners union and guess what now a couple decades later they're fucking tight and those that union expresses solidarity with the gay movements and stuff that's how that works it is a very capitalist way to think that um solidarity is somehow something that has to be reciprocal in the sense of like a transaction right of like yeah I can only support the liberation of people who also share my morality. That's not correct. I support the liberation of anybody who is oppressed and is living in an unjust life. Okay. And so that's to me, when I say I am pro Hamas and pro radical liberation fighter, dude, I am a hundred percent pro them. That doesn't mean, look, as a, Feminist, the number, and I think as a communist, the number one thing I think, well, as a feminist that I would say is like any war anywhere at any point in history, the first people most hurt and impacted are women and children. And after that, obviously men, war is actually not good for anybody except for the profiteers. 
And so I'm absolutely not for it. And I understand that there are always people on both sides or multiple sides of a war doing bad things, immoral things, things that you would not want to support. However, as you said, that situation is has been caused by the historical reality, right? So to me, um, there is there is something really worth admiring about um let's call it the whole the entire resistance fight, right? Not yeah. just Hamas. Because what you can say, right, like to compare it to a Colombian cartel situation, like Pablo Escobar was the face, was the public PR face of it. But he was not the only player. He was not the one running everything. There was plenty of other people all doing things who were doing the business that has to be done daily that is not standing in front of cameras and fucking peacocking, right? Right. So if we understand Hamas to be that and to actually be sort of like the snakehead of a whole set of regular ass people, because if you watch Al-Qassam videos with interviews of these fighters, Jake, they're like, I was, I was a personal trainer and then they killed my brother and my father and my mother and everyone and i have no one left so i just like now i just use my muscles to kill them (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) what the fuck else would you do literally like i would what else would you do i've seen videos of like nine-year-old girls with more passion and conviction in their words of like how they will die on their soil and they will be buried in their own land even if that's what it takes they will never leave palestine and i meet 35 and 40 year old men in comedy who just cannot fucking pick a side are you yeah. fucking kidding me are you fucking kidding me so there's something here right that i am going to give this credit to the resistance is that compared to israel and the media that they're putting out there's this like individualism versus collective power that i feel personally look really proud that the collective power is winning Because what's happening from the Israeli side is people who are in their uniforms, so they're soldiers, they're conscripted, they're volunteers, they're people who are working and operating for the state of Israel, committing war crimes for the state of Israel. And they are, of their own volition, Jake, on their personal TikTok accounts, making these videos of themselves doing war crimes very proudly. Okay. Yeah. So it is sort of a, um, in the way that we post selfies and we post our comedy clips and we post our promotions for shows, this is part of their identity. They're proud to showcase this. They're proud to draw attention to this. It's an individual self-building exercise that these motherfuckers are going through. Whereas Al-Qassam and the resistance they're not putting out individual videos. You don't see Hamas fighters or anyone else putting out on personal accounts some kind of fucking horrific thing where, look, I'm raping someone and look, I'm shitting on a fucking um, Torah or whatever, right? They're not doing any of that. Their voice is entirely channeled communally through the one outlet that they have decided will speak for them, right? Uh, Yeah. What's his name? I'm sorry, I forgot. But he is... Apparently, like that's not even his real name. He's sort of like a um, uh, figurehead for speaking publicly, but maybe the role gets filled in by a few different people. I'll think of the name in a second. Um, but it's such a way to really affirm that despite whatever individual fighters might be doing on the ground, they are driven by an actual unified communal 
resistant voice. Whereas Israeli voices are coming out as fractured, um, colonial oppressor, like really mask off, gross. You personally are a racist, (laughs) you know, like you put your name on the shit and, and it's like the prime minister, the president, the head of the army, all of them full on saying racist shit to a camera with their name underneath their face. <laughs> you know and I'm like, right. Wow. So you're simultaneously working for this one entity, but it's become something that reflects you personally. And you don't even see how you as a human have been co-opted into this Zionist project. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I follow you. Yeah, um, so I, I guess I just awesome. have high respect for the the, the criminals. <laughs> <laughs> well, Which I don't I think mean, should be unexpected from me. <laughs> I I think it's fucking fine. I mean, yeah. uh, the 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 problem isn't um, you know that the, the problem is the the inconsistency, right? Like I have uh, both criticism and support for the side of this that I support. Um, I, the problem with Israel, the, the oppressor side of this is that you're, you're being told to not have criticism at all and to only have support. And, um, this is kind of reminding me of the logic that goes around in the media when, uh, the police here kill a black teenager, where the first thing they do is they look up their criminal record and they go, well, look, you had a rap sheet a mile long. And like, a that's a bullshit argument because like, well, you just you arrest black kids that doesn't mean they did yeah well first of all poor people have rap sheets like i grew up around everybody everybody i fucking knew growing up was on it's called being on papers you're on probation that doesn't mean that they were worse people than anyone else that means it's a um what do you call it like a a, a sociological fallacy like labeling or something like that uh you just arrested those people more that Mm -hmm. just that doesn't mean that they are more criminal um but the other thing is you're creating an entirely like fucking irrelevant argument, which is the, that you're sort of implying that uh, you need to be an angel to not be shot by the police. You don't need to be at all. You can be a complete dirtbag, and I still respect your you right be to be <laughs> yeah. alive. What do you mean? <laughs> and in, inherent in that argument is you, uh, this thing you kind of have to admit, which is that, hey, aren't we all kind of dirtbags in some way? Probably. At yeah. least throughout the course of our lives, even. you know, Maybe you think you're a cool adult now. You probably were a shithead when you were younger. This is uh, something that gets weaponized, the idea that there are good and bad people and you know, yeah. yada, yada, yada. But and it goes back to the, tra- the transactional thing, too, um, or even like means testing, right, where it's like you can't hold an idea in your head to be 100% true without making like exceptions to it, without being like, no, but not this person, but this person doesn't deserve that. And it's like, no, actually, justice, fairness, human rights, that's all, yeah, for everyone. It's not to be means tested. It's not to be like questioned, did you earn it? Do you deserve it? You know, like, let me see your rap sheet. Let me see all the points you earned from the good things you did it's not that right not only would should justice not be qualified if it was you wouldn't fucking qualify the people on the oppressing side the israelis and the people supporting the israelis none of you would qualify you're all shitheads you've all done stuff so it's a stupid argument and it's essentialist and it uh it bases things in a, a very like 
uh, like emotional libidinal sort of place where people get into this idea of there just being like good and bad people, which I'm sorry, like yeah. it fucking makes me insane that that's the thing I, that adults walk around thinking, you know, know. it's fucking stupid. They're on Santa's good list, and we're on Santa's naughty list. Dude. <laughs> yeah, oh, speaking of truth of it. Speaking of Santa, did you see Brett Gilman? No. <laughs> Do, okay, so Brett. I saw, oh, tell me about it. Okay. Okay, so Brett Gelman, if you don't know, was um, like kind of an Adult Swim alt comedy guy in the last <laughs> twenty years of comedy. That's so embarrassing for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is real funny. I learned this recently. So there, so on Adult Swim, there was like there was an era of Adult Swim past the first wave you know the first wave was like all this interesting yeah. animation and stuff then there was a second wave where they did live action shows brett gelman was on one called eagle heart right uh-huh. eagle heart i think like Patton oswalt was in it and like um a couple other like big actors and they would just do cabin this- boy i forget his name elliot oh, yeah chris elliot that's name chris elliot chris elliot yeah yeah so he was he was the lead um that show was produced by Henry Kissinger's son or grandson. I can't remember which one, uh, but he ha- he has a fail son who got into alt comedy <laughs> and made that show. Right. Just a fun fact. Uh, kind of irrelevant. But um, but anyway, Gelman. So it's he's, not irrelevant, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hardcore Zionist. And uh, I have a suspicion as of why. I, I can't prove this is true, but I, I kind of think that he's married to someone who made him be a Zionist. But he might be Ooh. just a Zionist. Um because he's he's writing pretty hardcore and he's Jewish, so he totally totally could have just like been indoctrinated with all that stuff. Yeah, but he's one of the people that lost their fucking minds at the beginning of all this, like Amy Schumer. And uh, so there's this really bad sketch comedy thing that the Israeli PR machine keeps putting out, which is from their uh, SNL, whatever it's called. Yeah, I, something I can't say. Yeah, I can't. I don't, I don't speak can't. Hebrew, so I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> but their SNL is doing the joke that all fucking right wing fascist shitheads do, which is try to caricature woke Brooklyn people who are With pink hair. hair and no gender. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so fucking dumb. And you're vegan. Or <laughs> I'm like, what is this fucking 2004? What is happening right now? <laughs> It's like Babylon B level right wing yeah. comedy, and he uh, so like for Christmas they had him like he's he's a cameo. He's the professor that teaches the two blue haired polyamorous hipster Brooklyn people uh, yeah. about Palestinians or whatever. It's fucking terrible. He sucks, and so I mean, I like that uh, addition because. Or that comment, because um, it adds to what I'm saying of like, comedy does have this weird position in politics where it's like used to like a large part of why people like Donald Trump is because he's funny. He's fucking funny, honestly. He's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah, dude, he's fucking hilarious. And then um, part of the reason that like Biden is not accepted is because he's not funny. He's the butt of the joke, <laughs> you know? Do you and, know about Javier Millier? Yeah. So he was, he was very Trumpy in like the media. He's the like anarcho capitalist guy that just took over fucking, um, uh, Argentina. Yeah. Um, but he like, 
he would make crass jokes at people in the debates and do insults and stuff. And he was like sexual and shit. It's the same thing. And the thing is, I don't think it's that they all are copying Trump. I think it. No, they exist everywhere. This is a logical outcome of the culture war. Yeah. The the culture war that's a result of the contradictions of capitalism. It's there's always going to be somebody that comes along and that utilizes like the idea of being um, a uh, like an iconoclast in a sense, but yeah. it's false consciousness stuff. It's a very prime fucking uh, resource for politicians. Like, they're, do this in a vacuum, you're gonna have a Trump guy spring up, and that's Absolutely. why. Like, knowing that that terrain has such potential for shifting politics is why I don't think that you can responsibly as a comic or somebody who makes media say, oh, it doesn't matter. Comedy doesn't do anything. Absolutely. And I've been getting this from these fucking wasps and also from Orthodox Marxists who are like, that stuff doesn't matter. Oh, who cares that there's fascists and stuff? This happens to me all the time. It's a thing that like I in Brooklyn, I would just be in bars. I'd stand up and be like, let's fucking go. Like, you're wrong. I want to fucking flip this table over on you because it's a thing that all these stupid fucking 2016 dirtbag left podcast dumbass era this is a real critique of brooklyn by the way yeah. i thought that oh they're polyamorous and they have blue hair it's that they're <laughs> fucking rich conservative white dickheads who are middle class and they think Whose parents are paying for them to have a hobby yeah and they think that leftism is only something that exists in an isolated box and it's something yeah. they discovered fucking recently in college or whatever and that things like t- fucking art and the media and twitter and anti-fascism don't matter because it's only voting for Bernie Sanders or whatever. Yeah. And I will say, you know, like part of the reason that I wanted to come back and do this podcast, as we mentioned, is like, I am not okay with um, an art form that I love going down this like bigot spigot drain. Let's call it that of like so many of the comics that we know, um, bow to zionism and capitalism and fucking all of it to just be like well what's good (sighs) not to be a dick but like he'll probably never hear this whatever but like godfrey was on one of these podcasts with karen and he's like playing the whole like oh but like what did what what really happened and is hamas really bad and is oh but did israel do it you know just playing like the dumb fucking what do I know? I'm just a comic. And it's like, dude, this is bad. Like, I don't know if you see, uh, whatever. I don't want to bring up people from our past, but like comics that we've known have had podcasts where they will talk about how they can use racial slurs and they will have, they'll be white comics and they'll have a black comic on the show. And the black comic will just like, yes. And that shit. Right. And just like, we saw it even with like Chris Rock, Yes, ending Louis C.K. using the N-word on TV, right? right? So this internal pressure of the hierarchy and of how you make money and of how you can serve relationships that will lead you to make money and to get opportunities is this like fucked up selling of yourself, um, cutting a little piece away every single time. And to then on top of that, look other artists in the face who don't do that and be like, well, you're the stupid one. You don't understand how this works. Why aren't you slicing off a little piece of your soul every single time that they ask for it? Why aren't you pretending to be every single thing that they want you to be? Are you fucking dumb? You are the one who's fucking dumb. Like what, what are we doing right now? So I do think it's important for us and whoever else can 
to speak up against this like dominant wave within comedy of like either full on Zionism or mm, I guess I can't say anything. I don't know anything about that. Mm, um, there's a couple of things, you know, that uh, I will say. So in the last few months I've been um, going to protests. I've been exploring joining some communist and socialist parties I'm trying, man. And it's fucked up because I don't really have any claim on the future. I don't have children. When I die, I die. That's it. Good luck, humanity. But there's always this thing of like, try to leave it better than you found it, I guess. So well, <laughs> I'm, it, I'm trying. I You don't need to have children to want better things for other people. Yeah, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't also, have to be your progeny. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because it is not a thing about transactionalism, right? Like I was saying before, but it is frustrating sometimes that some people who have children and are directly invested in the future of humanity choose to put their head in the sand and not deal with this. And then others, you know, again, I'll give credit to other people who are being great parents, but and, and like bringing their kids to protests and teaching them about shit and all of that. But there's a couple of things that like people have come up to me and have DM'd me comedy people, right? Yeah. With genuine questions. And there was a couple that came up that I was like, man, I thought this would be like general knowledge. And apparently it isn't. And I would love to hear if you have any of these around this Palestine thing, because one that I can give you as an example is the watermelon, right? Uh-huh. Um, Hakeem, what's his name? Jeffries, right? He's our, yeah. one of our representatives here yeah. in Brooklyn. So, like a few weeks into the aggression, maybe in like September, no, October, November, um, in New York, there was a big protest outside of Hakeem Jeffries' office, I want to say. And the pro Palestine protesters, they were trying to get him to sign, you know, like a cease, ceasefire now situation. Right. And a lot of the protesters were carrying watermelon signs and some of the Jewish pro-Palestine protesters wear um, watermelon shaped yarmulkes, you know, uh-huh. which is like super cute and cool. And then there was like a thing on online where some people were like, it's almost like liberals, I guess, were like, oh, my God, look at these monsters. They're showing up in front of a black man's office <laughs> with watermelon. <laughs> I knew that's where that was going. Yeah, dude. You didn't see that? Yeah. So it's no, like a big there, fucking there's thing. There's been a million things like that a day since this started. Yeah, man. So like a bunch of not surprised at all. white liberals took it as like, oh, it's an insult. And then actually I did talk to a black person in comedy who was like, oh, I just thought it was like solidarity between black people and, and, and Palestinians. <laughs> and I was like, that's really cute. But no, that is not what it, what it is. Yeah. And so it is important for people to know that the only reason that the watermelon is a symbol for Palestine is because at one point Israel made it illegal for Palestinians to carry their own flag or display their own flag. Yeah. And for Israelis or like, Arabs and Muslims within Israel to display the Palestinian flag. So whenever they did the peaceful fucking protesting that you all wanted and that you all said, why don't they do it in the civilized way? They fucking did it in the civilized way. They went and they like, instead of having, okay, I can't have my flag. 
An artist um, figured out that a watermelon has the same colors as the flag of Palestine, and they started to paint it everywhere. And so the Palestinian movement picked it up as their symbol because they could carry that without being arrested. So that's now a way for people to show solidarity with them. The second one is the river to the sea thing, right? Yeah. So many people got so upset and they were wasting time fighting with Zionists about what it means, right? And it's like, dude, anybody who wants to argue with you that it means that saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free means that you want Jewish people to die is gaslighting you. They're just strawmanning you. They're just completely trying to um, distract you from what you're actually trying to argue. Yeah, no, that you you just you can easily just read history and there's never been a fucking point where that would even be possible for there to be a movement from Palestine to fucking do genocide to Israel. So like the, the, the thing is, I think what you're getting at and what I think people should understand is that if you get into that argument with somebody, they are being disingenuous. That is designed Absolutely. to do something other than have the conversation. And I w- absolutely. And I want you to know this one fact that will free you from this conversation with anyone, which is from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free is a phrase that is a direct echo from a phrase in the Israeli independence charter or like a establishment charter uh-huh. in their own fucking thing that says like the purpose of why Israel is being established. One of the lines says that their goal is that is Israel will rule from the river to the sea. Israel was the first one to declare that their intention was to own Palestine from right. the river to the sea. And Palestinian resistance people and fighters and organizers took that same phrase to say back at them, no, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Right. So now for Zionists to turn around and be like, if you say that, it means you want to exterminate Jews. Bitch, it's a direct quote from the Israeli charter of of establishment. So... Does that mean that you were saying from the river to the sea you were going to eliminate every Palestinian? Because it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, if the argument is Israel saying rule and Palestine saying be free, then yeah. to bring it up, like, there's no way the for oppressor? you to not. Yeah. There's, there's no way for Israel not to be the one that at least first comes under suspicion of that, which is, I think, true. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, like, want to encourage people to, like, But, yo, can I tell questions. you about From the river to the sea? Yeah. Somebody in my life expressed to me at the beginning of all this that they were really worried that I was going to use that phrase. And it was a person who they're not – they don't think they're supporting genocide. Like it's a person who is nice and uh, thinks that they're going about doing the right thing here. and But they parroted an idea that is designed – for fascism you understand so it's not just like the intention of every individual person when we deal with this sort of stuff that's what's so insidious about this sort of stuff is that it spreads systemically and it makes people feel like they are being well-meaning and right when they 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 perpetuate the idea that like oh i gotta go run around and tell people you can't say from the river to the sea because it's fascist or whatever and that that is something that is inherent to the dna of fucking fascism every time it's existed on planet earth is that the the, this is the thing that co-opting 
People, my entire life, I've been losing my fucking mind trying to explain this to liberals, which is that when you have a fascist, when you have a fucking bigot or a racist or whatever, they think they're the hero of the situation. And they think they're the victim of the situation. They're not actually the way we portray them in, in modern fucking movies and TV where they're like in a dark room scheming how to kill Batman or whatever. You've seen all the boys, right? Yeah. It's Homelander. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It's totally Homelander where it's like, oh, I'm the victim. And meanwhile, he's like fucking murdering everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Like co-opting the victimhood is like a thing that Nazi – that's what – that's where – that's why people joined the fucking Nazis. Like sure that they were like oppressive and they made you join and stuff like that. But the reason they had support to begin with – the narrative there was this thing of like, oh, you know, we we were we we are owed, like we're justified in committing this violence outward because we got fucking uh, mistreated so badly in like World War One yeah. and stuff like that. And you see this in a microcosm in the the uh, the way that right wing people treat comedians in terms of this idea of all comedians now being persecuted by cancel culture or whatever see what's really interesting about fascism is it's it it operates on an inherent contradiction it has to be that you the the person we're describing who's the hero of the story were mistreated so badly that you are justified as the victim in doing anything and then when you overcame the other person and you beat them up and you attacked them you it's, it's heroic because you were weak and you you overcame Goliath or whatever like that. Yeah. And like with, with with comedians that always bitch about cancel culture, what I always say is you were never any any danger in the first place. You just yeah. you just like you let the Koch brothers convince you that that's a fucking thing, and then it convinced your fans, and then it worked yeah. out pretty well for you or whatever. But the thing is, if you understand that you were never any danger to begin with, then you're not a hero for like putting out a special because you were already gonna do that. Yeah, I'm not going to name any names, but I will say that I had in the recent months um, a bit of a disappointment where I was going to watch a special that a comic put out recently, uh, like in the last three months. So like during this shit, right? Uh And I I understand that it was taped before, probably, but I had the tab open. I was going to watch it. And then on Twitter, I happened to like see a retweet or like somebody retweeting a clip of it. And the clip was an Asian COVID joke, right? Like a combo Asians drive badly and Asians created COVID. Yeah. Which is like the laziest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And also, um, oh yeah, and racist and such, but also how, you know, like the retweet that I saw was like being like, hell yeah, this is real comedy. Somebody still has it. And it's like, <laughs> how the fuck do you look at this and think that a 1980s joke about Asians drive badly connected to a fucking 2020 conservative talking point of COVID came from an Asian lab is edgy after we've been through fucking racial unrest, we've been through fucking lockdown, we've been through now like fully funding this horrible genocide. And that's what you choose to be edgy on? Extremely disappointing. It's also like 
uh, an old joke. Like it's I just, not, it's not creative. These yeah. fucking people just like the same five jokes over and over again, which are the, like the ones that you learned in like third grade or whatever about different races and shit. Yeah, it's dude. the I hate to make the argument. Oh, it's hacky and like you know that shit can never no, be funny because like fucking. I mean it. You it can be funny to do to do stuff like that, but like ninety nine percent of the time, the people that are making that argument. Uh, or that are the people that that arguments being made about aren't doing it well, you know. Yeah. Like, there's this thing because um, everyone was talking about Thirty Rock a couple weeks ago on I Twitter. Hated that. Oh, it was, it was stupid. But I do like yeah. Thirty Rock, and like I, I read something interesting. I think it's your gen, I think. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, people my age love Thirty Rock. Yeah. Um. Somebody said something kind of interesting about Tracy uh, Morgan who's called Tracy Jordan on the show, which is uh-huh. a, they said in comparison to everything that came after 30 rock, uh, Tracy Morgan is really interesting because the, what they did in that show with race was something that people don't feel able to either make or laugh at anymore, which is truly satirize the, the darkness of racism and have him play out a character who like, when you're doing it that way, it's a little bit edgy. Cause you're like, Oh, are they actually endorsing the idea that a black man is like this? No, yeah. they're satirizing it. And the thing is, I'm an edgelord. Always have been. There is a right way to do that. There's a way where the interpretation of it is actually a satirization of the darkness. I believe that. I just don't believe anybody I fucking know is capable of it anymore. Because everybody who says they're doing that is actually just doing hacky fucking tropes and shit. Yeah. Absolutely. It can be done. But it's like you're bad at comedy. All the people that fucking the people that are are caught up and trying to claim that that's their thing and that's why everyone's holding them back and no one understands their comedy are bad comics. Because guess what? If you're good at comedy, you don't like have to get stuck in this one fucking thing forever and have yeah. it be the only way that anyone knows who you are or the way that you make money or anything. You just do oh. other jokes. Oh my god! Let me. Let, are we ending? We're gonna end soon. But I'm gonna fucking cap it off with a Jackson Pollock comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, love it! Ah, it's so good yeah. to be back. <laughs> We're back, baby. <laughs> but um, you know, and it's maybe something I've mentioned in the show before, but I've been thinking about Jackson Pollock a lot in the last six months because Jackson Pollock was the first famous. Uh, or like I should say celebrity com- uh, not comedian sorry celebrity artist in America right because he came up around the same time that Time Magazine started and that like um, color photography was coming up and like color print and so he was the very first visual artist that was ever on the cover of Time Magazine okay uh-huh. and it happened while he was alive and so this man he went from he lived in the lower east side and he was like really poor and lived in a shitty place like you lived jake with like a bunch of fucking people and he made his fucking paintings right and then he met this woman uh, lee krasner who's also a painter they get married and they get some money i don't know where i think from her family and they move to upstate new york where he now has a big barn and he can make these giant splashing paintings, right? Uh-huh. So he gets fame because of the giant splashing paintings and because Time Magazine puts him on the cover. It's like the hot shit. It's like Vulture's Top 10, you're on Comedy Central, you got an HBO special, right? Right. And he all of a sudden, for the first time, I feel like before him, painters didn't get feedback directly from people you get me (laughs) and all of a sudden just kind of like cliff nesterov's book uh jackson is existing or pollock i should say i don't know the man pollock (laughs) is existing in a world where 
he is simultaneously hearing from um, the art world that he's awesome. He's amazing. He's the next god in painting and modern art. Oh, my God. Nobody's ever broken the rules like him. But from regular people writing into Time Magazine, regular people are being like, this shit is whack. My kid could do this. Why would you put this in a museum? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, look, I made one too. <laughs> and they're just like being fucking rude, right? So he realizes like, okay, this is what made me famous. But as an artist who continues to develop, he starts to have other ideas of other things he wants to do. So he does different types of paintings, except nobody wants to buy the not splash paintings. And nobody wants to write an article about the not splash paintings. And nobody yeah. wants to put him on a list of the top artists with the not splash paintings. So he realizes he has to make the splash paintings to keep being important to the world. And Jake, I think that that realization is what broke him because at that point, like he was already a drinker, but at that point he goes full self-destruct and he starts drinking himself to a, into a stupor every single night, uh, whoring it up a lot with li- like young ladies driving. He like th- throws up onto the canvas and makes a new Yeah, one. like gross shit. And like, you know, they were living upstate. <laughs> he was living upstate with his wife, but he would like drive into Manhattan to go like do drugs and party with the fucking young artist in the Lower East Side. Yeah. And then one night coming home back to somewhere in the in the in upstate New York, he was in an, in a convertible car, drunk and high off his mind with some young fan girl that loved him, and their car flipped over and he died. Okay. So this man reached the peak of success he's still considered one of the greatest american art- artists that ever existed and his paintings are worth millions of dollars but he died miserable feeling like he could not really express himself because he had to fit into what was expected to- of him from capitalism what could be sold what could be put on time magazine what could be put in the met what could be put in a fucking rich tech guy's house or whatever the fuck it was at that time i guess yeah like a fucking land I don't know, developer guy. And it killed him, in my opinion. And I think this is something that all of these artists that we know, that are our friends, they are seeing themselves succeed through pandering, through giving people what they're asking for. But um, have you been watching The Curse? I saw the first episode, but it's good. Oh, my God. You got to watch it because... um, it does have an artist thing in it. So like at one point there's this native artist named Kara who's uh-huh. like um, she is a painter and sculptor, but she also does like live performance. OK, this is relevant. Hear me out. Sure. And at one point in the show, she does this sh- this like show where it's like a teepee inside a gallery and like one person comes inside at a time and she's like singing this guttural song while she's slicing ham or like turkey. Right. In a meat yeah. slicer. And. Whitney, the main white lady, comes in, Emma Stone or whatever, mm-hmm. and she sits inside and she's like watching her sing and slice the meat. And then she picks up a piece of turkey and she eats it. <laughs> the artist starts screaming. And then like a few episodes later, the white woman, Whitney, is like, hey, like she asks her, you know, do people usually eat the turkey or whatever? Like, what does it symbolize? And you see this artist. So for the whole series, Kara has been someone who... Whitney is her patron. Whitney is somebody who buys her art. So she keeps entertaining her because I need you. I need you to buy my art, right? 
But every time she feels used, she feels like the uh, token Native person that keeps being invited to things to prove Whitney is connected to the community, right? Right. So she explains, like, she finally breaks and she explains to Whitney, like, the point of the teepee show. And she's like, as a Native person, and especially as an artist and woman, you feel like you walk through the world slicing off pieces of yourself at people's requests all the time, just slicing them off. And that's what that was meant to show. And so then Whitney's like, oh, so you weren't supposed to eat it? (laughs) (laughs) And then Kara's like, I mean, what do you think it means that you ate it? (laughs) Like that. And it's like, that to me has been the most clarifying um, point of view on artists that I have seen in a few years, probably since like Bo Burnham's show during the pandemic, something like that. Yeah. Where they're really getting at, and I I think it's Fielder's influence probably, but like the idea that a performer is constantly giving a piece of themselves over, they're slicing a piece of themselves off for your approval, for you to enjoy, for you to consume. And then you as the consumer what does that make you? Aren't you eating away at this artist? And if that's our relationship, is it actually a a fruitful building relationship or is it not a parasitic one? Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally. all I have to say today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, I think you're right. I think about that a lot because like, uh, I don't think that's inherent to art. I think that's art being mangled through the mechanisms of capitalism because mm-hmm. art is just human beings like ex- fucking ex- expressing shit to each other totally. about this thing that we're all experiencing yes. but when it becomes a thing where you're like oh shit i gotta keep making content or whatever mm-hmm. that's when you have that's so like what you were saying about jackson pollock him being like really sad and sick you know like you, yeah. you, you you encounter an artist when they're in that phase where they're like i'm not i have to keep doing this and it's not the thing i want to keep doing they you can tell when someone's like unhappy yeah where like, he couldn't even face his wife who was still trying to do real art yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, dude, every comic I know fucking looks like that. Like, they, yeah. they're so frustrated. And it's like, but you say you're doing the thing you love. Okay, that's why, right? Um, I, I'll say this about Jackson Pollock. One um, side note, which is every six months, there's an argument on Twitter about this. No one knows if it's true or not or whatever. But I think it fits in nicely to what you're talking about. The possibility is there is a theory that part of the CIA's culture war against, um, like, Soviet Russia was to fund a lot of postmodern artists, totally. one of them being Jackson Pollock. So if we're gonna he, do this episode. If he was through the course of his career making various things, and then one of the things unnaturally started to become demanded more than it probably should have to me as somebody who has the like as someone who makes stuff and notices, like, oh, why is this one thing popping off so much? The idea that 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 was fucking dark money, just like the shit that goes into right wing podcasts totally. and libertarian bullshit and the Legion of Skanks and all that crap. You know, that that seems like an aberration to you because you have a sense for what actually people want. And you go, I don't think people want these splattery paintings that much. Why am I getting incentivized so much to fucking make them? Yeah. Could be the CIA or it could just be like organic. No, but even but you know what? I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw a non uh conspiracy theory side at this and be like it is okay for people to want a certain thing from you. But if you as an artist don't want to produce that thing anymore you shouldn't feel at any point beholden to keep... If you if you do, 
that becomes tourist art at that point, Jake. Yeah. Like you're just purposely manufacturing a thing. Like at this point, Banksy is that, right? Where you're just putting out what is expected and you know that somebody's going to steal it off the wall and that it's just, that's what but it is. Do you know why comics like can't do that? Because there's so many of us and there's the work kept at the liminal fucking retention of a, 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 yeah. like a rat race. Like there's only so many jobs and you have to jump over everyone to get ahead that when the second you decide to stop being active like that and stop putting out things that are demanded of you. Yeah. You're nobody again. And that is to comedians in fucking America in the modern world. It's in death. It's exile. It's, it's exile, Jake. We talked yes. about it. <laughs> yeah. The worst punishment that you can do to a human. Exile. Okay. But if you're a comic, and you're listening to this. Take it from yeah. me. You don't die. You just you don't do die. something else yeah. for a little while. It's fine. I, I'm very fulfilled as an artist. Not as much but, as it's possible to be because of capitalism and stuff, but as I, or as much as it's possible to be, not yeah. as much as you know, like as is potentially possible. Yeah, but uh, I people watch give this lobster, shit all the time. People, people watch the lobster. That's what it's about. Um, you might have to live in the forest wearing a raincoat, but you will find your tribe out there. <laughs> you will find satisfaction. And I bring Jackson Pollock up as an example of someone who didn't do that, who did do the pandering, who did become successful, who is a fucking a historical artistic figure that matters and he fucking died miserable is that what you want i mean i don't know do you want that do you want to be eternal but have wasted your entire life being <laughs> See, miserable that's interesting because i think comics and artists in general don't Might realize be like, yes <laughs> i but i think that the reason that they do pursue uh, art past that point to their own detriment and eventually die is because uh, they're chasing the dragon and they think that that like yeah. the the narratives that that like uh, to bring back you know Judeo Christian time and all that shit yeah. like the, the way that we experience time is that there's a goal at the end of it and stuff and I think a lot of people we don't realize it, we now call it Abrahamic goal. sorry <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think what a lot of artists don't realize is that like you know that's fucking capitalism brainwashing you into thinking or incentivizing you into thinking that you are your role in this fucking grand tapestry of an art form that you're in is to just keep going and try to be the best and be the goat like fucking dave Chappelle. be goat yay don't be the goat yeah. be goat yay i just came up with a weird fucking <laughs> turn of phrase but remember that fucking guy that band they did one hit and then they fucked off forever and it's everyone the loves song? them yeah i yeah. loved it and then he it, went off he's probably happy he's selling out small rooms having a great time but yeah. Dave Chappelle is the opposite of that. If he had quit while he was ahead, like he said he was gonna, we'd all be like, yeah. "Man, he was the greatest." Remember Chappelle show? It was so good. Mm -hmm. He's still around, and we're like, "Dude, fucking stop!" <laughs> Dude, know? or imagine, imagine if he had come back and had been like, "I'm just gonna do clubs and small rooms and like alt rooms," and then just did like 50 people rooms, 100 people rooms, and just got to be real. But he didn't, you know. That's that's capitalism. Um, I hope everybody is really happy <laughs> that we're back. <laughs> this is what we do. Um, I'm going to say no emails. I don't want any emails. <laughs> All right. Are we done with that? Yeah. Fuck that shit. I don't want to. No, that's not true. Love you. If you have something nice to say, you should always say it. Um, 
if you don't have anything nice to say, just remember that everybody's going through shit and you should not make it worse. <laughs> yeah. And if you like us, you should give us money regardless of whether we answer your emails. <laughs> I need to live. I've, it's, I have to pay real rent now and it's becoming a whole thing around here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to capitalism, Jake. <laughs> I hate it here. It sucks. I know it sucks, but also it has some nice like um, – I mean, if you read some Dostoevsky and shit, it's like, oh, I get to have tea and other people don't have tea. <laughs> it's very sad. Very sad capitalism. But I'm super glad to be back talking with you. I hope we'll make it weekly. Uh, I missed you a lot. And I do want to hear more about your adventures in L.A. so that I can shit on them. And then I can tell you about how <laughs> bad comedy is in New York. Well, it's I bad. Bet. No, I can it's see bad. it from over here. Yeah, it's bad. Shut up. L.A. is bad, too. I'm not doing comedy out here. I do a little bit. I had one oh, really okay. good. I do it sometimes, but I mean, I, whatever. We'll get into that next time. We'll I'm get into to... that next time. I guess send us questions or comments about comedy in LA or New York. <laughs> 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 That's the one. It's like the only thing you're allowed to talk about. This is the premise. Comedy in LA, comedy in LA and comedy in New York. Is it different? Let here, us know. <laughs> how about this? Send us questions, but be nice and don't be weird about us, or else we'll quit for nine months again. Yes, I will. It's it's this is not a threat, it's a promise. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jake, all right. I love you. It was great to talk to you. Um follow us. You know where the fucking shit is. Luisa Diaz nuts on the stuff. Um also on Blue Sky because I'm trying to make that a thing, but I don't ever go there. Yeah, me neither. But I'm also on there. <laughs> I'm on Blue yeah, Sky. Find us. Yeah. Um, and you're still doing – oh, and you also have a new podcast with Jamie, right? Uh, no, I have a new I, – I have a bunch of shit. I have a new podcast with Avery Moore. Where we with just, Avery. Okay. We're just watching King of the Hill. And then I also have a live show I do with uh, with Jamie Peck called The Woke Mob where we just I do. had no idea Jamie moved to LA too. She's, she didn't move out here. She just hang out. She just came out for She's a month. She's a little nomad. She's a nomad. She did like a, a – what do you call it? Where you swap apartments with somebody or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sub, sublet. So uh, yeah, come to – if you're in LA, I'm throwing a show with Jamie. We're going to do the Woke Mob at it. We're going to do a set as a Woke Mob. We're also going to do like fucking dance shit. We have indie sleaze DJs and a bunch of my friends. It's a big variety thing. It's what I've always wanted to do. Um, it's in downtown LA. Follow me. Uh, there will be a ticket link and stuff. And uh, it's called uh, Crime Wave because of that song by Crystal Classes. But it's on the 25th, and it's also my birthday. So please come out to my big first big event here in LA, Crime Wave. Can't believe I won't be there for it, but I hope it's super fun. It will be. I know. Your parties always are. All right. Bye, dude. All right. I love you too, man. I'm glad we're doing this again. I know we do. All right. Bye. Bye. Why you